Luke chapter 1, verses 39 to 47. Luke 1, 39 to 47. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste, into a city of Judah, and entered into the house of Zacharias, and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of your salutation sounded in my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul does magnify the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Amen. And that is the word of the Lord. In our spiritually and mentally confused age, counselors and pastors dispense all sorts of strange advice. Sat through training on at least two different occasions where a professional counselor, a Christian professional counselor, advised us not only to display outbursts of anger, but that one should even curse God and scream at Him if it makes you feel better. And as if to reassure the mind, the counselor whimsically declared, after all, I'm sure God is big enough to handle a few cuss words from you. And in the book of Job, we recall that Job's wife provided a suffering Job a very similar bit of counsel. Curse God and die, she said to Job. Job, however, was a righteous man and he did not heed her foolish counsel. Instead, Job chose to worship the God who gave and took away. Now, centuries later, Jeffrey Lauer He's a psychology professor at the University of Arkansas, found a remarkably similar discovery in this arena. After doing hours of research and observation, Dr. Lahr determined, quote, venting anger may make you feel different in the moment. But the change in emotional state doesn't necessarily feel better. It may just feel less bad, end quote. And then a 2007 study entitled The Pseudo-Psychology of Venting in the Treatment of Anger, Implications and Alternatives of Mental Health Practice. That was the title. It reviewed the results of anger expression research, including the earliest experiments done in 1959, and found that venting anger lacks scientific support. It's interesting. You guys probably were told, you know, if you're upset, take a step back, go into a room, punch a punching bag, 
punch the wall, do whatever you need to do, vent. And this research, quote, states, not only does it directly lack scientific support, it challenges the integrity of mental health practice and places the public at risk, end quote. The study was later published in the Scientific Review of Mental Health Practice. The most up-to-date scientists are now recommending that instead of anger management classes, individuals ought to be taught skills in both conflict resolution and communication, which is often the source of much of our anger. Now, in stark, contract, in stark contrast to the vent your anger by cursing God out counsel of some very half-witted psychotherapists, today's passage of Luke contains the sincere praise of two humble Jewish women beautifully praising God with all their hearts. Both women are pregnant. And Mary's baby in particular is about to change the course of all human history. In fact, in the most important three decades of all of history are about to begin. Mary's heart is so overcome with joy in verse 46, she breaks out into song. A song that the church has called the Magnificat. And what Mary does is still true today. Those most favored by God, thank God the most. Gone are the days of venting anger and spewing hatred. Instead, when a person is born again, the Holy Ghost fills his or her heart with unspeakable joy that is expressed through cheerful praise and thanksgiving. Until this day, no one bestows mental health like the Holy Ghost. Amen? Now, as we pick up this passage in verse 39... Mary has come to visit her relative Elizabeth, with whom she will remain for three months. At her arrival, Elizabeth is roughly six months pregnant. And after years of childlessness, the angel Gabriel had appeared to Zacharias and promised him a son. Elizabeth, Zacharias' wife, soon conceived John the Baptist afterwards. Now, there are some very important points to take home from this morning's passage. First, note that God visits the humble. Verse 39 states that Mary arose to visit Elizabeth's home in the hill country. In verse 48, Mary explicitly states that God, quote, looked on the humble estate of his servant, end quote. In chapter 2, we are told that Mary had to give birth to Jesus in a manger, because there was no room in the inn. Think about that. The God of all the universe chose to be born amongst animals in a manger. Why is Luke, the physician, so intent about capturing the humility and faith of these two lowly women? Well, remember what I said from this pulpit two weeks ago. Luke was written for Theophilus. And by the way he addresses him, we can 
safely assume that he is likely a nobleman with high social standing. By capturing capturing their humility, Luke wants Theophilus and all of us here to know that the Apostle James was right when he wrote, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Here God is shown occupying himself with two obscure, humble women, both old and barren. Well, I'm sorry, one old and barren, the other young and a virgin. The glitz and glamour of Herod's palace or Caesar's Rome did not impress God. Rather, God was pleased with Mary and Elizabeth's humility. And friends, as we prepare to celebrate Christmas this week, I want to remind you all that the humble soul is the soul that pleases the Lord as it magnifies the Lord. And now as we transition into verse 41, Luke narrates for us two striking aspects of John the Baptist, who at this time is still an unborn child in his mother Elizabeth's womb. First, Luke mentions twice, first in verse 41 and then in verse 44, that John the Baptist leapt with joy in the womb of his mother. Now this joyful leaping occurs because Mary, who is pregnant at the time with Jesus, arrives and greets Elizabeth. Elizabeth, upon feeling the baby experience joy in her womb, turns around in verse 42 and blesses the child Jesus who was just conceived by the Holy Ghost in Mary's womb. Now all of this is a remarkable demonstration by the physician Luke that life, personhood, and history-changing purposes all begin at conception in the mother's womb. Abortion, therefore, is murder, and Scripture firmly condemns it as sin. Now, how does what you just read in the Bible intersect with everyday life? Well, many of you know that in 1973, the Supreme Court ruled that the Constitution of the United States gives a pregnant woman the right to have an abortion prior to the viability of the fetus. It was a terrible ruling that not only went against God, but it went against the Declaration of Independence, which ensures that every human being is entitled to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And if you're following the news right now, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments in the most consequential abortion case since Roe v. Wade. The case is Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization, and it presents the court with an, a rare opportunity to overturn Roe and correct one of the greatest acts of judicial arrogance in history. In Dobbs, the court considers the constitutionality of a Mississippi law that limits abortion after 15 weeks of gestation. And as Christians, we ought to pray for the overturning of Roe v. Wade. In New York City, for example, 
There are now more black babies aborted than born. A tragedy of epic proportions. Your faith intersects with what's going out, what's going on out there. And some erroneously believe that if you turn overturn Roe, it would cause massive societal upheaval, damage the court's legitimacy because you're going against a precedent. But in fact, the reality is just the opposite. I believe that overturning Roe will only strengthen the court's integrity by showing the world that our judges are able to correct constitutional misinterpretations and save millions of unborn human lives, human lives, humans who will go on to love, contribute, and change the world. Humans like John the Baptist, who leapt in his mother's womb. Now, I want to draw two very important doctrinal points from this morning's passage. I'm going to lay it out for you, and then we're going to go into it. First is the supernatural birth of Jesus, and second is the humanity of the Virgin Mary. First, the supernatural birth of Jesus. All the gospel writers painstakingly make it clear that Jesus was not born of a human father. Yes, in order to be a Christian, you need to believe in the miracle of the virgin birth. The word virgin in verse 27 describes Mary's state both before conception and during pregnancy. It's a miracle. This is vital for Christians to believe, for we are told in verse 35 that the Holy Ghost performed a miracle in Mary's womb so that she became pregnant with Jesus without having sexual relations with a man. And in fact, the word therefore in verse 35 indicates that although Jesus was a genuine human being, he did not, however, inherit a sinful nature, and disposition from Adam, as all other humans do. In fact, Jesus was born without original sin. Through the miracle of the Holy Ghost, Jesus was conceived of a virgin. He had no human father. He had no sin. And he would go throughout the rest of his life without sin. He was the immaculate Lamb of God. And unlike what the Mormons teach, Jesus was not conceived from any form of sexual contact. And as the Trinity consists of three persons but one God, so Jesus has two natures but one person. And unlike what the Muslims teach, Jesus was not a mere human prophet who falls behind Muhammad in the hierarchy of greatness. Indeed, for Muslims, it is blasphemy to claim that Jesus was God. But that is exactly what we find in today's text. And that is exactly what you need to believe in order to go to heaven. Friends, all religions do not lead to God. Islam and Christianity are diametrically on opposite ends in what they proclaim about Jesus. 
the one whose birth we celebrate this week. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus resurrected fully God and fully man. Jesus forever will be fully God and fully man. And this Christmas week, we celebrate the moment God became flesh. We call that the incarnation. And came into this world. And the amazing beauty of it all is that Jesus will remain. He chose to remain fully God and fully man for all of eternity. Friends, think about this. One day, very soon in heaven, you will actually be able to touch his nail-pierced hands. Not only because of his loving sacrifice for you, but a reminder of his decision to remain forever as fully one of us, fully human. He bled and died like us. So that's talking about Jesus. Here's the second part. The full humanity of the Virgin Mary. It is amazing, but no surprise, that the aged Elizabeth, in verse 43, referred to the much younger Mary as the mother of my Lord. After all, I just spent the last five minutes teaching you that Jesus was fully God. It was right for her to do so. Elizabeth knew that, and hence she refers to the baby growing inside of Mary as her Lord. But what truly surprises many people today is the biblical teaching that Mary was not immaculate. She was not sinless. Mary was a sinner, just like me and you. She also was in desperate need of a Savior. I'm going to say it again. Unlike the unbiblical Roman Catholic teaching, of Mary's perpetual virginity and immaculate conception, the Bible teaches us that Mary was an ordinary human woman who also needed a Savior's blood. Furthermore, upon giving birth to Jesus as a virgin, she did not remain a virgin, but had relations with her husband Joseph, And the gospel writer Matthew in the 13th chapter of his gospel records for us the names of their other children. But not only is her perpetual virginity a falsehood, but so is her sinlessness. Mary, because she was a sinner, cries out in verse 47 to God for what? Look at verse 47. Mary cries out for a Savior because she was a sinner in need of one. Read it for yourselves. Or in verse 30, it says that Mary found favor with God. The same word here is the word for grace in the Greek New Testament, the Greek word charis. Yes, my friends, Mary is not the one who bestows grace upon us, but rather she, like all of us, 
she is a recipient of God's grace. And like all of us, Mary also worshiped Jesus as her personal Lord and Savior. Amen? Now the truth is, Mary, although a godly woman, was nevertheless an ordinary human in need of a Savior. Her son Jesus would one day grow up and die in order to pay for her sins just as much as he died to pay for my sins. And only God can save us from our sins. It is therefore, I'm going to say this clearly, it is therefore scripturally, listen, I'm basing this off of scripture, it is therefore wrong to pray to her, to venerate her in a manner that comes close to worship, to chant catechisms in honor of her, to say rosary repetitious words to her. And due to a combination of biblical illiteracy and the human's unquenchable thirst for idolatry, statues of the Virgin Mary are worshipped. And they'll tell you, they'll t- they'll, they're, until they're blue in the face, they'll say they're not worshipping her. But to any unbiased observer, that's what's going on. But because of that, because of biblical literacy, all over the world, in Mexico, in the Philippines, in Spain, in Italy, in so many South American countries, statues of the Virgin Mary with pilgrims making pilgrimages to her and pouring out their prayers to the Virgin Mary. So many lives in absolute superstition, poverty, and spiritual bondage due to what amounts to the idolatry of Mary, the human mother of Jesus Christ. I'm not making this up, and you know it. So as we celebrate the birth of Christ this week, today's chapter is a reminder from the physician Luke that we need to get our facts straight. The focus is on Christ. Christmas, with all of its modern pageantry, often adds the nativity scene, and if we're not careful, we could make Mary into a superstitious figure she herself would have abhorred to be seen as. This humble virgin who was a servant of the Lord, would have been abhorred to see statues of her being worshipped today. So like Elizabeth, we too humbly pause this week to bow down in recognition of our Lord. Like her son John the Baptist, we too leap with joy in recognition of the liberation that Jesus brings. That Jesus brings. There is only one gospel that saves. It's encapsulated in four simple points. It could be more, but I do it in four. Number one, there is a holy God who created the universe out of nothing. He spoke the world into existence. And this God is love. He is just. He is holy. Number two, 
All humans are sinners and deserve, and we, just like Mary, all of us are sinners who deserve the wrath of God for our sins when we die. Yes, hell, a place of literal fire and torture, is the final destination for any who die without faith in Jesus. Number three, the good news is, however, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son Jesus, which is what we celebrate in Christmas, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life and he died on the cross and paid for the sins of all who would believe in him. Resurrecting on the third day is a historical fact. It's not a myth. So that number four, if you would repent and put your faith in Jesus as your Lord God and Savior, you will have eternal life. The moment you believe in Jesus, you are born again. You become a Christian. And that, my friends, is what Christmas is all about. You are not saved by your works. You are not saved by your veneration of the Virgin Mary. You are not saved by being in church this morning. You are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, the fruit of Mary's womb. Amen? So like Mary, the humble virgin woman, this morning we cry out with her, with joy. And what do we cry out? What do we say with Mary? Look at verse 47. I think it's so apt. In verse 47, we cry out with Mary. My spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Have a Merry Christmas and a blessed Christmas, everyone. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And just like Mary, we turn to Jesus, our Savior, the one and only mediator. And we say thank you. Thank you for this precious gift. Because Christmas recognizes in a world that's gone crazy, a bloodthirsty world full of hate, God became a baby, sinless, grew up, proclaiming the gospel, died a sacrificial death for the glory of God, for the love of humanity, but also so that each one of us this morning, regardless of what life has thrown us, and some of us are in very difficult states right now, but regardless of what life has thrown at us, Lord, Christmas reminds us that in Jesus we always have hope. And for that, O oh Savior, we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.